Before we start today's episode, we would like to begin by acknowledging the Yagara and Turrbal people, traditional custodians on the land on which we meet today. We'd also like to pay our respects to their elders past and present. <laughs> Liz fans. Can I call you fans? I'm going to call you fans anyway. Hey, you should hey, call hey. them fans. How, How are, are you? You found us another week. Um, it's a great week. I'm just going to say it's a great week. I haven't consulted my co-host about whether or not she is having a great week, but I'm I am. having a decent week. Decent. I took some time off this week from work because there's been a couple of public holidays this week for yeah. the Royal Brisbane show. That's not actually happening, but we no. still get the holidays for I'm it. about that. I do like that. Royal Queen's our government. Sorry, team. Outside of Brisbane. Well, it's the exhibition. The exhibition. Or as we like to call it, the ECA. The ECA. Yeah, so the ECA's not happening, which is kind of sad. But also a very, very good thing at the moment. Yes, but we get all the perks. We get the public holidays. We get the strawberry ice cream. We get the show bags bags being sold in supermarkets. So it's like all the good good bits minus like the free stuff. And we have... If we have any international listeners uh, being like, what are they talking about? It's as weird as it sounds, friends. It's kind of like a, a fair. It's or a country carnival. comes to town. Yeah. It was originally a, a, it's an exhibition of all the country folk bring their cows and their horses and their sheep and their There's competitions. Wood shopping. Wood shopping's my favorite competition. It's pretty great. It's a good, yeah. I but mean, there are no conspiracy theories around the ECA that we know of. Maybe we I should mean, look into we that. We should look into that. That sounds like a hoot. Mm. I think we've missed an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> and that's probably the most Australian you're probably going to hear us. The Ecker. Ecker, yeah. I do like the Ecker. But anyway, what are we talking about? We today, are Julie? talking about the death of Gloria Ramirez today. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Just, I mean, it's been a great week for us. <laughs> yeah. Gloria hasn't had a good week since the 90s. Oh, but. No. <laughs> It's a, it's a strange one. It's okay. a really strange case that I have for you today. Okay. Um, I'm going to turn my headphones up just a smidge. Okay. That's better. Okay, That's the yeah. Headphone music. I'm, I'm happy now. <laughs> <laughs> so you might actually recognize this case from uh, season one. <laughs> it's actually season one finale of The X Files. Oh, okay. It's like our season one? No. <laughs> yeah. You might recognize it because I've done the same story. <laughs> we have actually, uh, we might have spoken about her before. We may have But in passing. I really hope we haven't done this before. Anyway. <laughs> Apparently, um, we didn't do Denver Airport twice, so we didn't. who knows? <laughs> we didn't do it twice. Uh, so, yeah, you might have heard of this case from season one finale of The X-Files called The Aaron Meyer Flask. A man with green blood collapses and emits a poisonous gas when paramedics attempt to perform an, a... Um, uh, sorry, attempt to perform CPR or um, needle compression. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, weird, right? Yeah. Um, or... You might have heard of this case from Grey's Anatomy Season 3, Episode 14, Wishin' and Hopin'. That makes more sense. (laughs) (laughs) To you. To me, yeah. Uh, Both episodes were based on the following real-life event. Great. I love real-life events, Julie. (laughs) So, Gloria Ramirez, born the 11th of January 1963, was from Riverside, California and dubbed the Toxic Lady or the Toxic Woman. And she didn't earn this title by being a cow and spreading rumours. She earned it for something far 
more strange. Great. Gloria had been admitted to the emergency department while suffering from late-stage cervical cancer. While treating Ramirez, several hospital workers fainted and others experienced symptoms such as shortness of breath and muscle spasms. Five workers required hospitalisation, one of whom remained in the intensive care unit for two weeks. Cool. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Let that sit with you for just a little bit. Uh, So why did the hospital workers faint? Well, I don't know, Julie, you tell me. Mate, they're just, you know, <laughs> hadn't eaten that day. Um, oh, that could be true, though. That could be. But anyway, around 8.15pm on the evening of February 19th, 1994, Ramirez, suffering from heart severe heart palpitations, was brought into the emergency department of Riverside General Hospital by paramedics. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, weird thoughts I had while reading this because uh-huh. she had late-stage cervical cancer, but she came into the hospital with heart palpitations. I'm like, how – like, how like, – Cancer baffles me sometimes. I'm like, how did we get here? How did we get to heart palpitations caused by late-stage cervical cancer? I wish I could tell you, but I am not a doctor, yeah. surprisingly. How did we get to late-stage? Anyway, I had so many questions. This is 1994. Things were different, I suppose. Mm. Uh, she was extremely confused and suffering, suffering from tachycardia and chin, chin sto- stroke. Nope, chin stokes. Chennai stokes? Respiration. It's a weird word. C-H-E-Y-N-E. Shanae? Yeah, that's what I would say. Well, Shanae Stokes. Anyway, in New Hoosles, the medical staff injected her with diazepam, metazolam and lorazepam to sedate her. You know what I've noticed in myself? <laughs> what? That when it comes to saying the names of drugs, it's I can do it. very good at it. But like people's names? Nope. <laughs> Interesting. What can we draw from that? <laughs> I can promise you I've never had diazepam, metazolam or lorazepam. To be fair, though, we do get a lot of US medical dramas on our television. We do. There is that. Yes. There is that. Plus, maybe they derive more from Latin and I've got a lot of maybe. Latin experience. <laughs> under maybe. Belt. Thanks, opera. That was fun time. Um, when it became clear that Ramirez was responding poorly to treatment, the staff tried to defibrillate her. See? Can't say defibrillate. <laughs> nope. Go slowly. Little defibrillate. There you defibrillate go. her. Let's call it a defib. At that point, several people saw an oily sheen covering Ramirez's body and some noticed a fruity garlic-like odour that they thought was coming from her mouth. Okay. Susan Kane, a registered nurse, attempted to draw blood from Ramirez's arm and noticed an ammonia-like smell coming from the tube. Kane then handed the syringe to Julia Gorachinsky. Yeah, sure, Gorachinsky, a medical student. Uh, no, a medical resident. Two very different things. A medical resident who noticed a manila-coloured particle floating in the blood. <laughs> Kane promptly fainted. And was removed from the room. Not long after Kane, Gorinchinsky began to feel nauseated, complaining that she was lightheaded. She left the trauma room and sat at the nurse's desk. Another staff member asked her if she was okay, but before she could respond, she also fainted. Maureen Welch, a respiratory therapist who was assisting in the trauma room, was the third to pass out. So we now have three people passed out. Yeah, that's a lot. And like, and they haven't finished drawing blood yet? No. Right. You work at a hospital, Kaby. How do. many nurses per day would you just see passing out? Oh, I don't think I've ever seen a nurse pass out. <laughs> exactly. So. 
Staff were ordered to evacuate all emergency department patients to the parking lot outside the hospital. Overall, 23 people became ill and five were hospitalised. I'm sorry. That is where my problem lies, is that if it takes 23 people before someone's like, something is not right. Whereas if we were in like Madeline, for instance... (laughs) It would take a gut feeling. Well, then, of the first, th- of those first three people to be like, okay, let's uh, let's do something about what's happening here because this is this is wacky. Well, they did something. Like everyone ended up in the parking lot, so only the necessary staff stayed behind to stabilize Ramirez. At eight fifty p.m., after forty-five minutes of CPR and defibrillation, Ramirez was pronounced dead from kidney failure related to her cancer. Okay. Yeah. Right? Mm. Um, okay. okay. We're going to have a super quick little break and then we're going to keep on going. So what is going on, Julie? Still can't tell you. What? Yeah. No. <laughs> so first on the scene arriving at the hospital around 11pm was the Riverside Hazardous Materials team. The hazmat team called in to find the cause of the incident, perhaps a volatile toxin that might yet like be lurking in the air. Um, they searched for noxious chemicals including hydrogen sulphide, also known as sewer gas. Cool. Um, an insidious poison that smells like rotten eggs at high concentration can kill a person after one or two whiffs. And phos- phosphogen. Yeah, you're welcome. A gas with a dual identity. <laughs> to the relief of hospital administrations, the hazmat crew detected none of these chemicals in the emergency room. I mean, it would be a relief, but it would also be like, what is going on? Yeah. Now the Riverside Coroner's Office and their pathologists were left with the unnerving task of performing an autopsy on Ramirez. So Cool. That's what you want to do after 23 people have become ill and five have been hospitalised. Yeah. So they had to suit up and get on to work. So And they were also exactly your thought. They're like, we don't know what this body's got, like harboring inside of it they're like maybe it's like a fugitive pathogen or some kind of toxic chemical that's in this Mm. body they also could not find an explanation cool these are not people as well that like they're not they're not not looking for something and they're all pathologists well that's their job to find the thing it is to find the thing and And if they can't find the thing but you know what also as much as it would be scary to be given this body it would also be like something different to do for that day that's true you know you'd be like kind of ill bad gross but also kind of cool that i get to find something different that's true but also they're Turns probably out terrified we can't find anything different yeah. <laughs> so riverside then had to look outward for answers they enlisted the help of the forensic science center at the lawrence livermore national laboratory livermore is situated about 60 miles east of san francisco and is rooted in the nuclear arms buildup that started shortly after world war ii uh, but in the past decade, um, as the production of nuclear weapons has tapered off, Livermore and its fellow labs have attempted to find an identity better suited to the post-Cold War world. The goal fostered the creation of the 1990 uh, Forensic Centre, a clearinghouse that would allow state and federal law enforcement forensic teams to enlist high-tech aid from scientists at Livermore and other Department of Energy labs. 
The Forensic Centre took up the Ramirez case in early March. We had, we, they, had a meeting on the very last day of the month to determine our exact... I'm going to start that again. Okay. But not edit it because it's me. Okay. (laughs) And I don't want to. So the Forensic Centre took up the Ramirez case in early March. We had a meeting on the very last day of the month to determine our exact game plan, says Brian Anderson. Not Anderson. It's actually Anderson. Uh-huh. The centre's director. They, uh, the plan they developed was straightforward. Analyse the compounds, both organic and inorganic, in the blood bile and tissue from Ramirez's organs, including her heart, liver, lungs, brain and kidney. The team would also check for any gases that may have vented off the samples into the headspace, the pocket of air separating the samples from the top of their containers. Okay. Anderson suspected that the headspace would likely retreat for noxious... would likely be a retreat for noxious gases, particularly in the container holding the bile, a yellowish secretion of the liver, where poisonous, where poisons often concentrate. So if you've been poisoned, apparently the top part of the vial between the sample and the lid of the sample, you're going to find something good. Interesting. But when he warmed the bile, oh. yeah, that was worth looking at your face for. But when he warmed the bile to body Let's temperature, he said it again. I think I just vomited a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> to put out any gases still lurking in it, he found nothing out of the ordinary. Although the inquisition into Ramirez's death was now officially closed, there was no explanation for the outbreak of the illness among the hospital staff. The country's health department called in California's Department of Health and Human Services, which put two of its top scientists on the case. Dr. Anna Maria Osirio and Kristen Waller. They interviewed 34 hospital staff who'd been working in the emergency room on February 19th using a standardised questionnaire. I don't like standardised. Like <laughs> standardised? I mean, would you be going into this situation and be like, I have a standard set of questions that I need to ask you? No, I'd be like, what the even heck just happened? <laughs> tell you me tell everything. me what you think happened and then I'll ask you the standard questions. <laughs> Osario and Waller found that the people who had developed severe symptoms such as loss of consciousness, shortness of breath and muscle spasms tended to have certain things in common. Perhaps unsurprisingly, people who had worked within two feet of Ramirez and had handled her intravenous lines had been at high risk. But other factors that correlated with severe symptoms didn't seem to match the scenario in which fumes had been released. The survey found that those afflicted tended to be women rather than men, as well as people who usually skipped dinner that evening rather than those who had a full stomach. There you go, Julie. They were just hungry. They were just hungry. (laughs) Okay, KB, have you ever been so hungry that you smell something super gross and then pass out? I've never passed out. Oh, it's a fun time. No, a touch wood. No, we'll, never, we'll make you pass out later. No, it's real fun. I think we'll be all right. It's like you wake up and you're like, well, you wake up, you pass out for like however many seconds and then you come to and you're like, that was a great dream. <laughs> oh, it, it was wasn't real. a dream. Uh-oh. Those people standing over me in the line for the Batman ride are real. <laughs> at Movie World. You yeah. passed out at Movie World. I did it on purpose. Well, I didn't do it on purpose. It was just the first time I've ever passed out from holding my breath. Oh, my goodness. I was like, how on earth do you pass out on purpose? I was 10. It was a party trick. I have no sympathy for you. Because I'm so (laughs) pale that if I hold my breath, my face goes purple pretty quick. Oh, my goodness gracious. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. I'm not equipped. (laughs) Anyway, 
Where were we? We were at um, um, people be- not having dinner. Yeah. Where is that though is my I real question. I don't questions. know. You were just there? I was just there and then I got super distracted. <laughs> um, those couple, those findings coupled with the autopsy results, the hazmat analysis and the unremarkable blood test results from the stricken hospital staff led to, offi- uh, led to an official report that the hospital department re- released on September 2nd. The conclusion, the hospital staff most likely experienced an outbreak of mass sociogenic illness, perhaps triggered by an odour. In other words, they'd been... For they'd been stressed and had anxiety and in support of this is like I can't even talk tonight stress anxiety mass hysteria is essentially what I'm trying to get at I'm sorry, they decided that this was down to mass, mass hysteria, hysteria. Okay. Assyria and Wallace cited the lack of evidence for a poison and the fact that women were more likely to suffer severe symptoms, both hallmark signs of mass hysteria I'm like, ladies! Ladies, ladies. Ladies in 1994. Ladies of 1994. You should know better. You should know better. <laughs> like, real bad. Yep. When I read this, I was like, oh, excuse me. <laughs> okay. I shouldn't be laughing, but it is so laughable. Yeah. In a way. In addition, they pointed out that neither paramedic who treated Ramirez in the ambulance became ill. Despite the close quarters and their having touched her skin and some of her blood after starting an intravenous line. However, Osario and Walla did not rule out the possibility that some substance poisoned emergency room staff who'd worked directly over Ramirez. So perhaps something that they gave her when they were trying to sedate her poisoned her and then themselves. Interesting. But again, these are drugs that I can see. So clearly I've heard them before. So clearly <laughs> they're quite common. Yeah, or whatever's in a system, it just mixed badly with. But But the real conspiracy theory. Oh, and we've got a conspiracy theory. (laughs) It's what we do. (laughs) Some people pose the question, what if Ramirez is a human hybrid? Half human, half alien, whose blood when exposed to air or once the skin is pierced, lets off a toxic gas. Of course, why didn't I think of alien? (laughs) Oh, man. How could I not? Yeah. Fun, right? So fun. Ridiculous. Ridiculous, but as ridiculous as the event itself. That's which, true. To which there is absolutely no explanation for. All the all the pathology came back clean. But also if it was extraterrestrial blood, wouldn't it come up in the pathology as not, not normal? Maybe that's the trick. <laughs> Or just well, hide maybe, everything. maybe. Okay, we don't like. This is the fun thing about outer space and aliens is that we don't know anything about like outside of our own solar system, really, in any great mm. detail. Mm. So, <laughs> what if I pose the question: If their blood is not blood like we know it, maybe their blood is some kind of not a gas, but like a tiny, tiny little particle enzymes that we can absorb in our blood and our blood still looks normal. But every, if you pierce the skin, boy, does that stinky. <laughs> yeah, but oh, that's some stinky blood. But if it goes into our blood, yes. But if it was in her blood and she would, oh, I guess if she was a hybrid. She's a half, yeah. I don't buy it. If her mum and her daddy alien father. <laughs> I just, it's just a little bit too Guardians of the Galaxy for me. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. We'll ask him. We'll ask him. Dear Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) Dear Chris Pratt. And 
Oh yeah, Chris Pratt. Jeff Bridges. <laughs> it's not even Chris. Is it Jeff Bridges? Uh, as um as the Rocket? dad? No. No, it's not Jeff Bridges as the dad. It's um oh, I used to have a crush on him when I was a kid. Goldie Kurt Russell. Horn, Kurt Russell. <laughs> Goldie, like Goldie Horn's husband. Yeah. Um, overboard. That's why I liked Kurt him. Kurt Russell. Terrible. Well, terrible reason to like someone. That movie is. Next crash. time we're in a conversation with Chris Pratt and Kurt Russell, which will be shortly. The, the head of Marvel, we can uh, we can see what they think about this case. Yeah. Look, I guess anything's possible if you just believe. There's um, just so much we don't know. There is a lot that we don't know. I went to the planetarium once upon a time with my nephew and learned about our solar system and what exists, what, what could exist outside it. I was like, oh, my God. But I just would assume that she, she would have tiny dot. gone through life. Had did she, she had she never gone through life having like any of the wounded? blood drug, That was my yeah. Or that was needed my thing. a blood test, or or was it like maybe maybe the cancer in her body had changed the makeup in a way that alien blood can't handle. Guys. Okay, that is a genius uh, little <laughs> rationalization on my part. I can rationalize anything. Julie's ready to believe wholeheartedly. I'm actually not, but it's <laughs> fun to have to defend it. <laughs> um, guys, yeah, you got to tell it. us what you think. Let us know what you think. You know, you, well, you found us on your favorite podcatcher. That's a great start. It is a great. You can start. rate, review, and subscribe there, which I'm sure you already have because you're a good human and we love you. Yeah. Um, you can also have a chat to us on our socials. We have both Facebook and Instagram, Elvis's podcast, or you can be like, <laughs> I need more than the limited characters that are provided to me on <laughs> social media platforms, which. I'm not entirely sure of that limited. Page, uh, pages. I have pages a, a dossier I'd like to send you in PDF form. We have an email as well, which is elvislivespodcast at gmail.com. Send all your thoughts and feelings. About alien hybrids. That way. But um, until next week. Bye. Bye.